You are listening to 3CR podcast of Encyclopedia. Encyclopedia is a broadcast live every Sunday from 2 p.m. For more information, head to 3cr.org.au. This is Encyclopedia on 3CR, and thank you very much to Freedom of Species, who will be back next week from 1 p.m. If you missed uh, something on the Freedom of Species show or you want to hear a bit more, head to the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au, and follow the links to the Freedom of Species program page. Um, From there, you can also subscribe to their podcast, find their website, and connect with them via social media, uh, which I recommend if you're doing that. Then follow the program pages to Encyclopedia as well. Find our website, find our social media, um, find uh, all those things, and subscribe to the podcast. My name's Nick, and Encyclopedia is a show about the complex interactions between the altered states caused by plants, synthesised chemical and fungi that people have been using in different ways for thousands of years. We seek to explore the human issues of desiring altered states first and foremost, but there is a whole raft of things in between that and people doing that safely. We're talking about prohibition here. We, we talk a lot about uh, the, the sorts of things uh, that uh, prohibition uh, does as a, as a policy and the uh, unintended or intended consequences of that, which is something that I was trying to work out when um, uh, Gladys Berejiklian, New South Wales Premier, said that she was worried about uh, unintended consequences of pill testing. I thought, well, wh- what are the intended consequences of, um, of, of prohibition exactly? Like, are you happy about these deaths? Is that the intended consequence? It's not clear. So it's a question that we should be asking. If the unintended consequences are, like, what are these unintended consequences? What is prohibition meant to be doing? Because by uh, basically every metric, um, it has made things worse. Um, And, yeah, that's the kind of stuff that we talk about on the show. Uh, And I want to do this. Sitting with me today, Ash. Afternoon, folks. How are you going? Yeah, good, mate. Good. Good. Glad to hear. Um, also in the studio, uh, Meredith. Meredith, um, drink cool. Drink. <laughs> wow, drink. said like a robot. Yeah, that's yeah, me. So <laughs> I was Meredith like, it's cool. a different somewhere else. <laughs> yes, uh, and Meredith is going to be chatting with us a bit later in the program um, about... Safety. Safety, inclusion, uh, and inclusion in psychedelic communities um, and what that means. Uh, especially relevant for altered states, I think, because this is, um, you know, people can be vulnerable, people can be, I mean, they're just in a different state of mind and there's a lot of things to talk about in that. So we'll be um, talking about that a little bit later in the program. Um, and um, been a lot of things uh, going on this week. Uh, Tasmania just um, uh, said that they will be uh, allowing pill testing. It was the Hobart City Council, I believe. Right. Um, The Greens in the Hobart Parliament are supportive, but I think they're yet to win over the the government. So I I think, yes, positive positive statements, and same with the um, Sydney uh, Council, I think. Clovermore um, has come out supportive of it. So we've got this uh, kind of situation now where there's some local governments kind of coming on to support it, but the larger state governments are yet to get across the line. So there's been a lot of talk about pill testing this week. It's been uh, on uh, a lot of the mainstream press. Um, There has been support from some unlikely areas, like I think it was... um uh, was it was it Alan Jones or one of uh, one I think of the he was shock supporting jocks? Decriminalisation, decriminalisation. Right. Yeah, that was the one that kind of made a few people raise an eyebrow. It's uh, he's complicated on these issues. That wasn't actually that much of a surprise to me that he came out with that position. Um, but yeah, that you know, I think it is it is an issue that's kind of 
getting more broader support across the spectrum. I think we probably don't have time right now to get into a deep dive, but there, there has been, on the decriminalisation issue, we've also had the New South Wales Bar Association come out supporting it. Um, there is a ICE uh, or methamphetamine inquiry happening in New South Wales at the moment, in addition to the coroner's court um, inquiry into the MDMA death. So that there's been quite a bit of reporting on these issues for those reasons, like particularly coming out of New South Wales. Uh, also, I'm still calling for uh, signatories to a petition before Parliament at the moment uh, on the roadside drug testing program. This is in in response to the recommendations that came out of uh, last year's inquiry into drug law reform. And one of those recommendations uh, was that the Victorian government look at its current roadside drug testing regime um, and look at some of the uh, some of what's been done in other parts of the world uh, and and um, you know, are we actually focusing on, on road safety here? And that's what the question asks. You can find a link to that on the Encyclopedia website. Um, so, yeah, please go and check that out. I think there's about 400 um, signatures on it so far. What's, uh, doing? Uh, it's a bit over 400. A bit over. Yeah, four, 420 or so last time I looked, oh, I think. Yeah, that sounds about 420. right. 420. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll just the screenshot studio. it there. I think the petition's closed. That's a good number. <laughs> Okay, uh, first up though, this is um, Spinifex Gum, Briggs and Mar- Ooh, it's gonna, where are we? Yeah, and Marliaia uh, with Locked Up on In Psychedelia on 3CR Community Radio.
That was Briggs with Locked Up. Um, and it has just been NAIDOC week this week. Here on 3CR, they do, each year there's um, some broadcasting from inside the prisons and they, excuse me, they particularly broadcast um, Indigenous voices uh, that are incarcerated telling prison stories, poems, songs and the opinions of Indigenous men and women in the Victorian prison system. You can find that by going to 3cr.org.au slash beyond the bars. Highly recommended listening. It's in Psychedelia on 3CR, and we've got uh, just a quick bit of news from around Australia and the world first up. So they've done the most recent wastewater analysis. I think this is done every uh, quarter, I think, like uh, four times a year by the Australian Criminal Intelligence Commission. And they always misreported in the media by saying that um, ice is the most uh, consumed illicit drug, somehow forgetting that cannabis exists and is still an illicit drug. Um, in the most recent findings, uh, Victorians are consuming more MDMA, heroin and oxycodone than anyone else in Australia. Um, I think they found that uh, New South Wales, particularly Sydney, was consuming more cocaine, which will be no surprise to anyone. Um, they also found that the average consumption of MDMA in both capital city and regional areas as well as average heroin consumption in capital city sites, had increased to the highest levels recorded since the program's launch in early 2017, and that Victoria was responsible for a large part of that. Um, well, what's quoted here is a staggering majority of the MDMA detected in Victoria's wastewater was from regional areas, making it the state with the highest average regional consumption of the substance. Uh, the, the main highlights from that. Uh, there was um, some news this week from Victoria Police. This is not exactly, um, uh, not directly drug-related uh, news, but it was um, about Victoria Police's new toys. Um, they've got some new toys that you'll start to see uh, hovering about the place uh, at public events and uh, wherever else uh, uh, they might be useful. And there's, there's no doubt these toys, of course, are drones. Uh, and there's no doubt that um, I'm sure they can be useful in some scenarios, but uh, some of the uh, uh, the civil liberties groups and, and um, uh, people looking at you know privacy are... A bit concerned about this. Uh, Police have said that it will also assist when police attend emergency situations with the ability to fly a drone in to provide advice to someone in a tricky situation or supply first aid equipment or water. And of course, there is that that positive spin on emergency scenarios um, where these could be very useful. But I think some of the concerns are how widely are they going to be used? Um, So yeah, new toys being implemented. um, And they have been being tested because we've seen them (laughs) being tested. Tim Warner from Liberty Victoria was doing some of the rounds in the media highlighting some of those concerns, essentially stating that it would be a lot better to design some strict protocols around their use now rather than after there's some kind of incident. Um, sitting across from us is also John Jiggins, who is from um, Bay FM, um, but was going to, to add something. 
Yeah, I was just going to add something to that wastewater um, report that you talked about. They um, put the size of the um, methamphetamine market in Australia about 9.6 tonnes and the value at 9 billion street value, um, which gives some idea of just why it's um, you know so huge. But I actually think that 9.6 tonnes is an underestimation. If you look at the sort of amount of, um, uh, well, what they refer to as ATS or amphetamine type stimulants mm. of which, um, you know, ice is just a, a, a part, like there's all the amphetamines as well. They seized about nine tonnes alone in 2015-16 and they seized um, seven tonnes in 2016-17. So I think uh, even though it sounds incredible that we um, could consume that amount, nine tonnes, I still think that's an underestimation. So John has um, done a lot of uh, research into the economics of uh, drug markets in Australia, one of only a a small handful of people across Australia who have uh, um, had a go at that task, and we're going to have a bit of a deeper talk uh, with John on a future episode. But yeah, very interesting, um, because this is the number wang that goes on with Prohibition as well. Um, One final? uh, In South Australia, police have uh, charged a young 18-year-old with um, drug trafficking after they seized 20,000 tabs of... LSD uh, and um, the comments from the um, detective chief inspector Tony Crameri are quite amusing. They copped a bit of blowback on the social media as these things do, but I quote, this is a highly dangerous hallucinogenic drug which can have long-term health effects on the user, he warned. And um, it's it's that kind of hyperbole Mm, that that, that happens... you know, with prohibition. Um, now, every drug can be harmful if it's consumed in a certain way, but in terms of the risks to the um, the user and to society, LSD is not generally a priority for police a or bit, for health services. A bit overstated. We, we should say here that it was just um, last week, I think, that a report uh, came out that uh, was a comparative study into um, the, the risks and harms, uh, potential risks and harms of a variety of drugs, and LSD was certainly down near the bottom with uh, alcohol and nicotine being up there close to the top. Um, and we will also be speaking with the uh, with the person who conducted that study on a future show. Uh, this is in Psychedelia on 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au. If you're currently studying at a university and interested in drug policy or other drug issues, get in contact with your local Students for Sensible Drug Policy chapter. Uh, They are across many universities in Victoria um, already. Uh, head to ssdp.org.au for more information. Uh, but if you're at a university where there isn't a chapter yet, then perhaps you're the right person to start one. Get in contact with the team at ssdp.org.au. Deeper dive for us, Ash. Right. So there was a story that may have uh, sort of come across your social media feeds or, you know, to your attention recently about a um, seizure of cocaine that happened in Spain. It was on a Brazilian Air Force plane that was travelling as part of the contingent of President Jair Bolsonaro on the way to G20. And um, this particular military officer, I think they must have assumed that their luggage wouldn't get scanned because it wasn't discreet. It was 39 packages just in a black suitcase, you know, totaling 39 kilograms of what we presume to be relatively pure cocaine. Um, now, so that that um, that kind of happened, but it got me thinking that this is not actually that uncommon in history. 
Um, if you go back to even the Korean War, uh, an outfit known as um, Air America were uh, thought to be smuggling certain drugs to provide support for various military um, uh, kind of insurgencies. Uh, last year, it was just last year that um, two USA Special Forces officers pleaded guilty to drug charges after smuggling nearly 90 pounds, uh, about the same amount, 40 kilograms of cocaine from Colombia into the United States. Um, and if you go back to 1986, there was a similar uh, kind of thing, except with a little bit more drugs. It was 7.5 tonnes of cocaine that were um, seized, and uh, the people were also charged with laundering $25 million worth of drugs. And that was just a couple of years after a five-tonne seizure in Atlanta. And these were all involving USA military um, planes. Now, if you go back, one of the most interesting ones, if you've never had a look into the Iran-Contra affair, this is where it gets quite interesting. While Iran and Iraq were at war, Iran made a secret, secret request to buy weapons from the United States. Now, this is under Reagan's administration. And essentially, what they did, I think, from memory, I've got some notes in front of me, but we, we're a bit short on time, so I'll kind of go uh, a little bit from memory here. So um, what happened was that they were um, funding the insurgency in Nicaragua, which is probably a war crime, by the way, just as a side note. So they were funding the, um, the Contra army in, uh, in Nicaragua. And they were using drugs smuggled from Colombia to do so and then spinning that into money to then buy weapons to send to Iran. It was a whole scandal, um, but drug trafficking was alleged to be at the heart of it. Um, it's such a kind of common story. It was actually in the plot for Lethal Weapon. I don't know if you remember <laughs> that, about the Air America planes in Vietnam smuggling opium. There's stories that... Uh, are quite pervasive about the CIA and its involvement in drug trafficking going back about 70-odd years now. Um, which ones are true? Which ones are false? How much of it goes on? I'm not quite sure. But, sort of um, the game of an intelligence agency to keep control of the information flow, isn't it? Well, it's also... <laughs> these are spy agencies, and so whenever they can have money that's off the books, that's advantageous for doing their spy shenanigans, and drug trafficking is the easiest way to make uh, large amounts of money. Um, it came out during the um, Vietnam War through a book called The Politics of Heroin in Southeast Asia by Alfred McCoy, or Dr. Alfred McCoy, which is now rewritten as the politics of heroin. But after that, the CIA uh, transferred it to another US intelligence agency. They've got about 55 of them because the CIA was sick of tired of people saying they were major drug smugglers. And it was <laughs> then sent to um, US Naval Task Force 157, who are behind the Nugenhan Bank in Australia. And they used Australia as the major place to ship drugs from Southeast Asia to America, transshipment, mm. so no one ex would expect that Sydney was the major source of large quantities of heroin and uh, cannabis. Mm, yeah, I have heard that before from the, the naval ships coming into Australia uh, during the Vietnam War was one of the, uh, I guess, the pathways for, for beginning the, the illicit drug industry in a larger scale in Australia. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it all has to do with Bernie Horton and the... Um, 
but bourbon and beefsteak sort of restaurant in Sydney, that's where the major sort of drug smuggling operation started. This is in Psychedelia on 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM, 3CR Digital and 3CR.org.au. Uh, and, uh, oh, uh, the 3CR Radiothon. I just wanted to say massive thank you uh, to um, Chris, Chris, Chris Nolling. My yeah. gosh, uh, who I believe just like completely cleared our target. Thank you very much, Chris, for your donation. Also, thank you to uh, Danielle, uh, who donated, and everyone else who um, donated. I'm, I'm actually trying to get it up on my phone. Can't find it now, but I know uh, those two names were two more that have donated. Um, you can still donate at the moment. Uh, 3cr.org.au forward slash donate is the place to uh, have a look for that. Um, and I think we're going to be um, speaking uh, with uh, somebody I, I had a Twitter discussion with the other day uh, shortly. Um, this is 3CR. So I'm here at the school kids strike for climate action with some of the people who are on strike today. Can you tell us your names and how old you are? Uh, so my name's Ivy and I'm 12 years old. My name is Marta and I'm 8 years old. My name's Layla and I'm 11 years old. Inequality is at a 70 year high. Our jobs are going offshore, our jobs are being casualised. 40% of us are trapped in insecure work. The richest 1% have more than the 70% of us at the bottom. And workers will stand up and fight. You've never seen a fight before until you back the Australian workers into a corner and tell them they've got no rights. Those workers will fight. 3CR, union issues and workers' struggles. Feed Radical Radio. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377. Everybody, get up and join me, Shirley Hood, on Mondays for Second Thoughts. We'll use the hour to rethink, reconsider and review our second thoughts on all those topics we don't discuss enough. With music and entertainment, I'll see you Mondays, 1 to 2 p.m. on your deadly radio station, 3CR, 855 a.m. Brrrr. And Psychedelia on 3CR, 855 AM, 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au. My name is Nick and uh, on the phone now um, I have Mike Williams. Mike, uh, who also goes by the uh, Twitter handle at the Oz Trucker uh, and has been doing a series of uh, hashtags called Hashtag uh, Minute with Mick where he's basically got one minute um, to talk about uh, something that's usually it's something um, from what I've, I've been seeing uh, that's in, in the sort of mainstream media at the moment. It's a conversation that's going on at the moment. Uh, Mike is uh, also an opinion writer for bigrigs.com.au, uh, an outlet dedicated to uh, providing news for the transport industry. And Mike has uh, spoken about transport industry safety on 2GB in Sydney and 2CC in Canberra. Uh, he's a former owner driver, now working as long distance driver, carting bulk chemicals all over the East Coast. Mike, welcome to the program. Hi, Nick. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks for coming on. Um, so you posted a tweet the other day in response to uh, pill testing a minute with Mike. Um, so maybe you can share with us now uh, your, your take on, on the pill testing discussion that's going on. Well, the substance of my minute with Nick um, last week was about the uh, legality of, uh, of the use of illicit drugs. So I'm getting a bit of feedback through the phone. Um Sorry, I'm not sure what's what's that what's doing that. <laughs> <laughs> it makes it a little bit harder. Um, 
put together my thoughts for a second. Uh, That's all right. So legality. So you were basically saying these drugs are illegal. Why would we have pill testing uh, when it's already illegal? It's sort. Of, it, you were saying it's it's illogical, and I, th- I think it's a stance that a lot of people have. Is that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, sorry about that. Sorry about the feedback. Now, listen. The short story of it is, is that I have an issue with uh, the drug testing because I, I believe that it opens a Pandora Pandora's box of legal issues. Now. I would like to say up front that I, I disagree with the prohibition stance that we have. I'm a bit of a libertarian, really. I sort of believe that the drugs should be legal. They should be properly manufactured. They should be regulated. The government should be able to collect tax on them. And people should be able to use them as they see fit. Now, having said that, um, the harm minimisation people such as yourself believe that pill testing is a good way to go to reduce the potential harm to people. And I can see that there's a certain amount of logic to that argument. But the problem with it is is that you've got an illegal product which you're going to go and test for people and say that that's safe. Mm. Now, there are a number of issues with that that I can see straight out of the box. And the first one of those would be the fact that none of these drugs that we're taking, illicit drugs that we're taking, are in any way quality tested. So they're cooked up by whoever in their kitchen and... And uh, the quality of them varies quite markedly. And even the, the pressed pills, from my understanding, the pressed pills can vary in quality from, from one pill to the next in mm. the same batch. And they can vary in quality from one side of the pill to the other. And this, this is so, an entirely, entirely legitimate concern um, that has been raised about, uh, about mm. pill testing. Um, I've got Ash sitting across from me, his uh, co-host here. Afternoon. Ash is just nodding along. Yeah, um, uh, yeah I yeah, mean, this the, is one the, of the problems. They are legitimate technical concerns about the, the, you know, it's really into the nuances of how the, how the pill testing actually works. So I suppose yeah. just, just on, on the side, uh, or because there is a lot of debate about pill testing, even among people who sort of support it, they sort of see some, uh, there's some issues uh, uh, around there as well. And I suppose one of the hardest uh, parts is just having the conversation with people in the first place. And what a lot of the advocates for pill testing have been saying is that a lot of these young people haven't had good drug education and they're still going to take these drugs anyway. But at least oh, if they... More. Yeah. No, I think that's 100% right. So at least if they're having a conversation with a professional, they might change their mind. But at the moment, there's not a lot else that can be done. So, yeah, well, I mean, what you said earlier is uh, that you, 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 know, you support legalisation and actually getting this under control. And the problem is this is a band-aid on a on a you know a broken a bone that's poking out an arm really. Oh, of course, it's yeah. never going to help. Prohibition, now, prohibition's never worked. You've only got to look at what happened with the alcohol in, in the US and and the crime that goes along with that. And we have the same issue with with illicit drugs now. Um, the problem that we've got, the, the, you know, the kids want to do what they want to do. They're all ten foot tall and bulletproof. I mean, I was a teenager once myself and. I may have actually smoked a joint once. I never inhaled those. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you do these things and, you know, my concern is that, you know, you you see these kids rocking up and and we've had this inquiry going here in New South Wales and there was one poor kid there that took uh, a heap of tablets. The problem with it is, and, and and I think the principal difference is people say, well, alcohol's legal. Um... So and a... that causes problems. And you mm. yourself said to me it was something like 5,000-plus deaths last yes. year, and I wouldn't argue with that number for one moment. Uh, 
the only difference between your things like MDMA and, and uh, alcohol is alcohol sort of self-limiting. Once you've had enough, you, you know, you fall over. MDMA is <laughs> not like that. If you go and take one or two pills and you're not getting the high you want, you go and take another one. I mean, even if you're taking good quality stuff, by the time you know, you might be getting what you're expected to be getting, it may well be too late for you, and that's the problem. There certainly are other risk factors involved. Now, one of the things um, that I wanted to talk to you as well about is um, you you talk about uh, industry safety in the the transport industry. Uh, We have a a roadside drug testing scheme that has been going on since the mid-2000s. It's been increasing all the time, and I think most people are familiar uh, that there there have been issues in the transport industry, especially in long-haul trucking in the past, Mm. um, with wakefulness, because people are looking to stay awake to work as long as they can to meet the you know their their uh kpis or whatever it's called in the in the transport industry you know get places in the, an amount of time so that all it all works out uh interested yep. to hear your perspective on how roadside drug testing is going and if it's helping uh the industry or if these, these are still problems in the industry uh, what do you know mike well the drugs uh, particularly amphetamines uh in our industry have always been a problem Right from the earliest time I've been involved in the industry, there were and you know a number of drugs, both prescription and non-prescription, that people would take to uh, increase their ability to make a mile, so to speak. Quinlan did a, a big inquiry on it. There's been a number of issues. 60 Minutes have done stories on it. I was on a panel in 60 Minutes years ago where we talked about it. Harker's Transport up in Queensland come unstuck because of it. Um... The drug testing, such as we have it today, I've got a number of problems with the drug testing that we have today. Um, the first problem is the number of false positives we're getting. Mm-hmm. And the problem with it is, for a professional driver's point of view, is that once he gets a false positive, he's immediately unemployed. Exactly. Um, because it's regarded as a positive, and until he can prove that it was a false positive, he lost his ability to earn an income. And, you know, some people, that's a real issue, you know? Yeah, I mean, this is. I'm glad you brought that up because this is an issue we've been hearing a little bit about uh, in in terms of the roadside drug testing program. Uh, Ash, you heard a story um, just the other day. Uh, was... Yeah, we'll, we'll probably get Steve on the show, but we got contacted by um, by a man in um, regional Victoria who has essentially been impacted by this. Um, they use cannabis, um, you know, from from their own sort of words, medicinally, but not while they're actually driving. Um, yep. But because it stays in, in your system for so long, they've kind of been pinged. And once you get pinged, you're more likely to be tested and targeted again. Yep. And um, this poor bloke looks like he's going to lose his house because he's lost his job. Like he was trying to retrain in another area, but didn't realize that his license would be so important in that other area. And now it looks like he's you know going to lose his job, lose his house. And I, I, I don't know, like where's the benefit for society in that? It's well, a new- there's not a heck of a lot of benefit in society for it. Uh, but the problem with it is, is that when you look at a drug test like this, it's a, first of all, we've got a, it's, a, it, it's a strict liability offence. So the substances they're testing for are all illegal. So if you've got it in your system, you've used it, and they're, they're positing that you're driving under the influence of it. Now, I wouldn't think that anyone would argue the point that if someone, particularly driving a heavy vehicle, is under the influence of a drug, an illicit drug or any drug for that matter, they shouldn't be driving. Mm. And it's a pretty hard case to win. Now, I can say for certain that I sympathise with someone who's 
using marijuana, oil, seed, whatever, smoking, to relieve a medical condition, and they've got a recognised script for that or their medical supervision for that, then they may be an entirely different category altogether, and that's something that does need to be addressed. But my opinion is that if you're driving a heavy vehicle, much like alcohol, where our, where our alcohol limit is less than a, someone driving a car, mm. then you've got to be somehow or another uh, responsible for the action that you take behind the wheel and being under the influence or consuming illicit drugs and driving a commercial vehicle is probably something that really shouldn't go together. We've been speaking with uh, Mike Williams. He is uh, uh, an opinion writer for bigrigs.com.au and uh, works in the uh, in the transport industry and uh, speaks about safety issues in the transport in- industry uh, in uh, media in, in Sydney and in Canberra. Um, also, Mike, I, I've got a petition I think you'll be interested to, uh, in, which I'll, I'll tweet to you. And if okay. you're on Twitter, you can follow Mike at the Oz Trucker. Uh, that's the OZ Trucker. Um, Mike, thanks very much for joining us on the program. Thanks for having me, Oz, and well, maybe we'll talk again down the track. We'll- so, sounds good. We'll keep in contact. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> right Thank Bye. you. Uh, and this is in Psychedelia on 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM, 3CR Digital, and 3cr.org.au. Oh, that's not working. Uh, I'll do a different one and fill in some air with uh, something for a moment. There we go. From every corner of the land, womankind arise! Women on the Line, a current affairs program devoted to women's voices, covering a diversity of women's interests and hearing women's perspectives on current affairs. Erosion of human rights leads directly and inevitably to erosion of human security. We do not accept the denial of our rights because the right to have a say over our country is our life. Women on the Line. Tune in on Mondays at 8.30am and Wednesdays at 6am on 3CR Community Radio 855am and streaming live at 3cr.org.au In Psychedelia on 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM, 3CR Digital and 3CR.org.au. And see, this is what happens. You argue with people on Twitter, get them on the radio, and it ends up that you agree about most things anyway, and he's actually got some pretty legitimate concerns. You cannot get a good conversation in 280 characters. That's fact of life. (laughs) We should not be running politics on Twitter. I'm looking at you, United States of America. And, um, yeah. Uh, anyway, in the studio now with us, Meredith. Um, Meredith, uh, hi again. I mean, we said hi earlier. Hi, Nick. Yep. Um, now, you, uh, we'll get into some things in a moment, but um, you have just returned. You're feeling a bit jet-lagged, so thanks for coming in today. Of course. And you have just been to Canada and the US. You've been all sorts of beautiful places. I have. By the beautiful pictures. <laughs> and you also presented at a, um, a, a conference um, on... Uh, now, what was the on, on your work on music mm-hmm. therapy, um, but I can't remember what the conference name was. So the conference, it was the American Music and Imagery Association, uh, and every two years they have their big conference. Um, and so I spoke about the potential role of music therapy within psychedelic research, sort of talking about um, initial research that happened in the 60s um, in which a method of music therapy developed, guided imagery and music, um, but really looking at how things can come full circle and that music therapy can once again have a role within uh, 
the psychedelic research that's happening today, particularly as the research is much more robust uh, as it, than it was back then. Um, but it, and it was very well received, so it was a really awesome. great opportunity to go over and, and have that conversation and, and also... And see um, so many beautiful areas. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so I, was, I was a bit jealous, like, looking at all those beautiful places. It, it looks amazing up mm-hmm. through the, the part of... Um, it's sort of along the border, isn't it, there, where there's lots of forests around? Mm-hmm. British Columbia, yeah. Yep. yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Big, where the mountains literally meet the sea, mountains, forest, and ocean. It's beautiful. Would you want to share a quick anecdote about any of the other things that you saw and maybe interesting things that you saw or maybe not right now? Interesting things? Yeah. Uh, legal just, things? Yeah, yeah. Legal things? Sure, oh, yes. Well, um, you know, it was very interesting to travel down the west coast of the US and also in Canada where marijuana is, of course, legal um, in those particular states and in, and in Canada. Um, and see how it works. I mean, Ash and I were talking off air earlier about how, you know, they're still iron, ironing out problems. It's mm. not 100% perfect. But just, but just being able to have a, an open conversation um, in those states, walking into a dispensary and having a mature discussion with someone um, who is who knows a lot about, you know, what they're doing and what they're selling. And that mm. is such a different uh, way of of. of approaching drug use than than here where you know if you're caught with with having a joint on the street you can be fined a lot of money or you can you know depending on on what you have on your person you can go to jail um i think yeah it was it was um quite a novelty to experience that over there so we'll get into the uh the the meat and bones of the discussion is that the right way to say it? but before sure. so before so I just want to say um psychedelicsociety.org.au is the website for the Australian Psychedelic Society and next Saturday uh there is uh, a screening of a movie called The Fungamentary it's an award-winning uh documentary uh sort of with a bit of tongue in cheek but it's serious but tongue in cheek from the mid 90s uh, that we've had remastered and will be screened at the Cameo Cinemas in Belgrave uh and also mush- uh workshops on uh, growing culinary mushrooms, uh, identifying mushrooms in the wild. Um, and you can choose to either see just the movie or movie and workshop. There'll also be psychedelic markets and some other workshops. Um, and uh, Meredith, hoping you'll be down there. The Savo will we'll talk af- after the show about mm-hmm. your timing. I know you're busy that day as well, but we'll figure that out. But Meredith will be down for some of it um, and we'll have lots of other things going on. Um, there'll be some great artwork on display uh, at the Belgrave Inspiro Centre. Psychedelicsociety.org.au and you'll find the uh, link to buy tickets there. Uh, it's $20 for the movie and $40 for the movie uh, plus the workshop. And it's a two hour long uh, workshop in either the morning or the evening. You can choose uh, whatever suits you best. Uh, so Meredith, in here to talk to us today. So uh, first of all, a lot of uh, you, you uh, do a lot of the integration sessions for mm-hmm. the Psychedelic Society here in Melbourne. Um, and uh, one of the one of the important things uh, is... Um, Ethics. Well, talk to us about the ethics of working with people in, in altered states, I suppose, uh, and not just alt- working with people in altered states. I should also say working with people who are talking about mm-hmm. altered states, not currently in that state, but who have had a altered state. And, yeah, yeah, so my sort of real interest in this relates to my day job, which is all around working um, around preventing violence against women and around gender equity. But a couple of months ago... Um, well, earlier this year, I was asked to run a workshop at the most recent EGA event, um, particularly aimed at women and looking at how, um, 
looking at integration, a preparation of psychedelic use um, and also safety for women in the psychedelic community. And so I, I co-facilitated that workshop with Melissa Warner who works at Mind Medicine Australia. And what came out of that workshop was, well, we had an overwhelming number of women attend. Um, we did cap the number, um, but we had people literally banging at the door to want to come into the workshop, which really highlighted um, the need to have it, the need to open this discussion about safety and inclusion um, and and also about preparation and integration of, of, sub, of psychedelic substances. But um, within the workshop, um, we opened up the floor um, open up the discussion to the floor about what is safety look like within the psychedelic community, and what we learned was that it's it's very diverse as a as a word as as uh, what it entails. I mean, we can talk about physical safety with psychedelic use. We can talk about set and setting, um, but really also talking about feeling safe, feeling included. I mean, often the psychedelic community um, or psychedelic spaces have been dominated by men. Um, not saying that men uh, don't have a lot to contribute to the psychedelic community because absolutely they do, but it hasn't been open and inclusive for women and minorities to um, be part of that conversation and voice their opinion. And so many of the women in this workshop talked about um, abuses of power that occur within psychedelic spaces. Um, and when I talk about psychedelic spaces, like I mean dance floors, festivals, events, personal spaces in the home with friends. It's very diverse and broad. Mm. And really it's it's about developing what it boiled down to was about developing policy and procedure so that people feel safe and included because if they feel included, they feel safe. Um, and so really talking about what it means to feel safe and what do we need? And obviously depending on the context, it, it, it differs. Um, mm. And so, yeah, that's really what sort of sparked this um, need or, or realization that we need to have further conversations about this. And I think through my work at APS, I feel like uh, I can, um, or, or the organisation can start doing bigger things. Mm, yeah, and it is a, an important discussion because mm. every year we still hear about um, assaults that occur at festivals. Not saying that all of these are occurring mm. uh, under altered states, but uh, that that certainly is uh, is something mm. that um, that happens. And and um, I mean, how do we unpack this? What are some of the things that you you said that um, uh, there were some. Um, working towards guidelines have you got any ideas on like what can you actually say how do you how do you teach people how do you remind people i mean obviously we can mm. say these things but how does it cut through to the people that that are doing that mm -hmm. behavior mm. how do we cut through to those people and get them to listen not scoff mm -hmm. as well which seems to be um i mean i notice a lot of um discussions uh in psychedelic spaces online so mm -hmm. i'm talking about facebook groups or some of the forums uh when these sorts of issues are brought up you'll always always get some, you know, mid-20s or, you know, mid-30s bloke, white bloke, basically looks like me and Ash. Um, <laughs> sorry, Ash and me. Um, but, you know, it is. It's our demographic. It's our demographic. And it's some bloke who will be like, oh, why do we need to care about that? And and sort of very dismissive. So, and that's that scoff. I mean, how do we break, break through that and... Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, obviously, it's really up to them mm -hmm. <laughs> to, to change their yep. attitude. Yeah, and that's, that's a really good question. And you also just highlighted the fact that uh, the online space is also another psychedelic space, mm -hmm. um, which is a really big and unmonitored space a lot of the time. Um, I think one of the key things, well, there's a couple of things. One of them is moving from this calling out culture to calling in. I think with calling out culture, you can name and shame an abuser or somebody that has... Um, 
behaved unethical in the psychedelic community. Um, but really, instead of doing it in this public way, we need to have a conversation with people, uh, with the with the um, the person that's uh, been alleged to have uh, done committed this behaviour, um, as opposed to putting it online and you know. Um, publicly shaming on. someone yeah. and stacks on exactly um so i think it's really about having a conversation with someone talking about behavior talking about how that person felt not blaming um i think it's really important to instead of putting the blame on someone to just really have open dialogue um and having a mediator there um in terms of changing behavior i think in with festivals and with events i think it needs to come from um how the festival sets a policy, how they have procedures, how staff react to things. And one of the, the best examples I can think of is, you know, with Rainbow Serpent, not only not only is there dance-wise, which is obviously important harm reduction with drug use itself, but also dance-wise happens, you know, uh, in conjunction with the nest. And the nest is a really important space and a really great example of comfortable a comfortable and welcoming space set up to provide social support for people experiencing difficulties as, as at a festival. And I'm just going to take a quote from their page. So they have a particular focus on gender-based violence and trans inclusivity. And they say that the nest state that they are determined to create an environment where everyone feels safe, respected and included at Rainbow Serpent. They hope to further a dialogue to increase awareness of a culture that promotes consent and trans and gender diverse inclusivity. And so that's really awesome. That's an example of um, a festival having a space that has set guidelines and have has a set agenda about what they're trying to achieve mm. to ensure that Rainbow Serpent is inclusive. And I think a lot of festivals can really take that on board. I, I think a lot of festivals have. In my experience, particularly over the last three years, you've seen a marked increase in consent messaging. Mm. So, like, clear clear posters and info things, mm -hmm. like, stuck up on toilets, promoted pre-event, that explain what consent actually means. Because mm. a lot of people... They might have an understanding that it's like, well, somebody didn't say no, therefore things are okay. But mm -hmm. it's like consent is actually a little bit more complicated than that. It involves power dynamics. It involves ongoing dialogue and communication. So kind of like from what I've seen, mm -hmm. I, I don't know if it's been effective yet, mm -hmm. but nearly every festival that I've been to in the last three years has shifted to mm -hmm. try and incorporate more of that kind of dialogue, mm -hmm. more of that messaging in in the structure of what they do. The, the, and this is what I wonder, has it been effective or is it just the people who are already listening to that message who are going, yes, and still there's not those other people coming in? I, I don't know. It's hard, mm -hmm. to, hard to tell. But to... Like, I see this discussion as something that's really uh, at its core. It's about democracy and justice. It's mm -hmm. about the, the whole point of democracy is not electing somebody once every three years. Mm -hmm. It's having conversations. And and that, at its core, is what creates justice. Like, we create justice not through punishing people, but through having conversations and understanding each other's positions. That's the whole point, that we're meant to try and understand each other. And I feel like sometimes the internet and social media can be a bit poisonous and toxic uh, for that because people are reactionary. They're there just for the likes and the memes. They're not there for a serious discussion but then I also know that people put on all sorts of personas online and they don't necessarily wear their real opinions and they might just try and shit stir because that's what you do on the internet apparently so it's very confusing I don't know what people think um, but um, democracy and justice democracy and justice and as you said I mean you can't have a conversation over Twitter but also you know it's really um, you were talking about ethics in altered states and I think it's really important um, that if you you know psychedelics can be really great 
tools for healing and for personal growth. But, you know, unless there's an intention that's really about that, that can also just sort of reiterate shitty patterns of behavior um, that, uh, you know, people continue to do shitty things. And I think when, if you're working or if you, uh, you know, it's great that festivals are doing a lot of things. And as Ash said, there's a lot of great stuff going on. But I mean, it's up to um, uh, other psychedelic spaces as well to have their own ways of dealing with problematic behavior Mm. um as i said it's it's not about this calling out culture it's about calling in but it's also knowing about the ethics around when someone's in a psychedelic space if you're going to be a sitter for them if you're going to sit with them and they're in a you know they're having a psychedelic experience it's knowing that they're in a vulnerable space they're not in their normal um they can't give consent in the same way necessarily. As Ash said, consent is really nuanced. It's ongoing. And so it's it can become very tedious. And I was going to say as well that MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies, have recently um, released uh, a new code of ethics around their MDMA-assisted psychotherapy mm. work. Um, and part of that is, you know, it's a protocol on ethical touch, including seeking permission for reassuring touch prior to therapy, um, you know, having male and female therapist teams. And I know that Mind Medicine Australia, who are doing the research here uh, with psilocybin at St. Vincent's, um, are also pursuing the same um, therapist training protocols. So I think it's really important important um i mean it's harder to sort of uh i don't want to use the word police or or control or or, uh um be in charge of of how people are acting ethically in personal spaces if it's in the home but if if you're at a a festival or an event of some kind where there is drug use it's about um developing some kind of procedure or protocol that fits with you know the space that you're in. I just realised that this one of perhaps one of the problems again uh, of of prohibition is that it makes it's hard to have conversations about the positives. But there's a dark side to the positives as well because I'm thinking with some substances, I'm thinking things like amphetamines, uh, MDMA. Uh, one of the one of the things is that people might have certain feelings of connectedness, of like all of this is okay. I can I can do this, and I've seen this behaviour from probably from more naive people uh, or people who really just haven't had a chance to reflect on their behaviour yet, where they will uh, sort of naively act act as if their feelings can be projected onto everybody else because of how high and happy they are that they can project it onto everybody else. And especially if they're um, a bit naive, then they kind of think, oh, but this is the thing. This is, you know, it's... But we can't... Because that is about a positive. They're having a positive experience, but they might not realise that their positive experience is encroaching on other people's ability to have their own positive experience with whatever they're they're on or or not on, you know, because I, I guess that's just... You know, different different drugs have different kinds of behaviour. We see what happens with alcohol as well, but a lot of us are sort of familiar with it. We've got stories that go intergenerationally about um, about behaviour. We've got tropes that we can go to about you know drunken uncle, the drunken racist uncle, and things like that. So we kind of associate behaviours, and I'm not saying we should always do that, but there is that's part of the building of the abstract language to understand uh, how these things might affect you. Mm-hmm. I, I guess. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think something that um, I've talked about with um, lots of people at Australian Psychedelic Society, including yourself, Nick, is about developing resources around this, about the ethics of consent, but also just, um, you know, ways of of uh, promoting safety and inclusion. I know SSDP is doing the same. You're developing a safety mm. and, or diversity and inclusion policy at SSDP. Um, 
we were hoping to have Nick Kent on the show, but of course Nick's away. He's taking um, a well-earned break. He's taking break. a well-earned break, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, you know, I think um, we're taking positive steps forward in being able to address a lot of these issues. You know, there's a lot of great work that's already being done and I certainly don't want to um, damper the work that's being done, but I think there's a lot more that can be done. I think there are resources that, you know, we can have uh, that, uh, you know, this psychedelic society can have, that SSDP can have so to ensure safety and, and not also not just safety but also inclusion. You know, it's a very um, white male-dominated space. Most of the psychedelic psychedelic researchers that have a platform are white men um and when we know that you know psychedelics have been used for thousands of years by indigenous groups all over the world um and yet they don't have the same platform um so i think it's really you know with safety comes diversity comes this inclusion space but it's about doing it in a way that's not tokenistic in a Mm. way that um people are equally represented and have a platform that they feel like they can be part of and i feel like that's the um that's one of one of the big challenges because of the nature of prohibition. People who are mm-hmm. in um, more uh, uh, marginalised groups are more likely to suffer worse consequences of prohibition, which makes it more difficult to talk about. But it doesn't mean that other people who are advocating for reform shouldn't try and reach out to these people. Uh, it, it can be a, a difficult conversation if people aren't, you know, able to talk about things. Mm-hmm. But the, the point is that you're you try to have a conversation like don't right. you know and that's it that's as simple as it is you you just you try to you don't just ignore it you don't just think i'm just going to speak to my circle of friends all the time and just go round and round and round expand there are different circles out there and we're only going to understand things better when we connect these things up a bit more that's right and within the psychedelic community there's so many uh, like any community there are so many subcultures and and groups and you know people working uh, and and using drugs and as you said you know different minority groups are suffering more under prohibition and so i think as you said opening a conversation asking people what they need as opposed Mm. to assuming we know what people need that's the biggest thing i think the most recent ega event is an example of the most inclusive ega event that's happened i know that the organizers were really proud of this particular event that happened and that's an example of not only was the crew diverse the presenters were diverse there were you know lots and lots of people attend like uh, people attending it felt like a very safe event and i think that can set a precedent for how we do things in the future um a safe psychedelic event where people want to attend and people feel they can have a space that's theirs if you want to uh, check out some of the Entheogenesis Australis videos, and they will have the videos from that day up sh- up soon, uh, youtube.com forward slash entheotv is uh, their uh, YouTube website. And uh, their website, uh, what's the best way to find it? It's like it's entheogenesis.org if you can spell that. We'll put it on our social media. So if, you, if you're following us on social media, um, uh, then you'll be able to find it that way. Uh, Meredith, thanks very much for talking to us. And I think it's, as you said, I mean, it's an ongoing discussion. Absolutely. And we're, we've been uh, having some interesting shows uh, if you check out our podcast uh, with some people talking about uh, issues, especially class issues as they relate to uh, uh, to mm. drugs and um, the effect of our current justice system here in Victoria uh, on uh, people who use drugs and it creating a never-ending or apparently never-ending uh, negative uh, cycle, negative spiral. Um, do we do we have a moment for yeah, a final for, comment? Yeah, so, final comments. So yeah. just on the stuff that you were saying, like, you know, like myself and Nick, we recognise that we're white dudes, right? And we have a lot of privilege. It's hard not to. My hands and, in front um, of me. Yeah, you know, pretty white, pretty white. And um, you know, it was something that um, I had to try and 
bring my awareness back to when I was when we were founding SSDP is like specifically stepping back to create room like not as a like it it, it actually sometimes has to be more of a conscious process like setting equality of rules is not how you create like equality and safety within an organization. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it actually takes a little bit more than that. Even here on the show, we, we've found we invite a bunch of people, but it actually requires a deeper conversation to bring in more diverse voices. Like men typically will self-select a lot more frequently <laughs> and uh, you know forthrightly than, than women will. And that's a cultured thing that often develops over a lifetime, right? It's like that's something that's been rewarded behaviour for men since they were young boys and, you know, not so much for women. So anyway, that was I just wanted yep. to add that in. We can continue this conversation off air. I think we could spend a lot of time talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do subscribe to the podcast at uh, 3cr.org.au and check out our website as well at inpsychedelia.org. Uh, again, psychedelicsociety.org.au for tickets next weekend to go and see Fungamentary, an award-winning documentary from the 90s that has been remastered uh, for the first time since the 90s uh, and will be screened at the Cameo Cinema in Belgrave and uh, also workshops on uh, growing and identifying uh, mushrooms culinary mushrooms so you can check that out as well uh, and also this Friday um, Michael Pollan author uh, who has been talking about uh, the psilocybin research is uh, at the Wheeler Center although I, actually I believe it's sold out yeah, it's sold it's out, sold but, out. Um, okay. yeah we're gonna go hang out out the front and get people to sign petitions and whatnot <laughs> but um, I think the Wheeler Center also records things uh, so it's wheelercenter.com uh, and uh, Michael Pollan talking about the new science of psychedelics on Friday but just come along on Sunday uh, on Saturday and meet the whole uh, local community rather than these international guest speakers. Uh, this is 3CR and Queering Hair is up next. Enjoy your other. This is In Psychedelia. Comments, complaints or contributions are welcome. Jump on the 3CR website 3cr.org.au and head to the Encyclopedia program page. Get in contact with us on Facebook or Twitter or send us an email. Encyclopedia does not condone or condemn people who use drugs for their choices. Our aim is to present the diverse intersections of psychoactive drugs and society. If you are concerned about your own drug use or a friend's drug use, Direct Line provides a free and confidential counselling service 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Call 1-800-888-236. In Psychedelia, we'll be back on 3CR from 2pm next Sunday. This has been a 3CR podcast. You can hear in Psychedelia live every Sunday from 2pm. Head to 3cr.org.au for more.